Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patented half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. How was your Memorial Day weekend? It was good. I'm glad you asked me a question because I was looking at you like, I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Somebody say something. Are we like one of those like we're an old married couple where we're just going to sit across the dinner table from each other like That's not nice talking as we eat? How was your day? Um, my Memorial Day was fantastic. I went to Chestertown, which is what we do every year. And all the other kids from all the other families, they were like legit babysitting age. They weren't just like, oh, you're eight. Great. Can you watch my children? They're like legit older kids. And there were a whole bunch of them. And so it was great for everybody. My kids had a fantastic time. We saw snakes. We went up to the beach. That sound fun. <laughs> beach sounds fun. Snakes. Was, no. They were no, really into you. the snakes. Yeah, they were really <laughs> into the snakes. I was not. I was trying to like keep my cool about the snakes. But they were like, you know. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, but anyway, so it was great. It was great. How about yours? Uh, it was wonderful. Uh, had just a couple folks over for a grill out. We, we when we bought our house, the folks that owned it before us had a grill that they just left, and so hasn't really gotten a ton of use. So we. Went and filled up the propane tank and gave yes. it a whirl, uh, and it was fun. I learned a lesson in, um, you know, when you have your friends come over with their kids. Like, my my friends' kids all kind of know where the fun stuff is in my house. Right. Like, they've kind of figured it out, and I – like. A, a mighty kid's meal at McDonald's is just the right amount of food for me. So I hoard the toys and I mm. put them in a bin that's like off to the side in my living room. So my friend's kids come over. They know like they go to the bin and they see what new nonsense Kristen's gotten right. while she's destroying her cardiovascular Right. Health. Okay. But I, they are also very animated. And one of them in particular, he is definitely going to be the next Lin-Manuel Miranda. Like, he is just this fabulous creative performer kid. Like, oh, I've, n- like I've never known someone where you know them when they're five or six years old. And you're like, I know exactly what the next 40 years of your life are going to look like. <laughs> but I made That's the good. mistake of as soon as these kids arrived at the party, this friend with her, her kids, I was like, so, so-and-so, are you going to perform for us? And I should not have done that <laughs> much as I love watching later. this kid perform well no so he sings a song but then like wanted to continue singing and like the rest of people you know were continuing to chit chat and having a normal party and I realized I had just I had broken that seal way too early and like you you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube like, and so then it was like buddy. why is nobody listening to me sing <laughs> like oh I've done a horrible <laughs> thing <laughs> Oh no! Well, you so, know. So note to self: don't don't ask the kids to start singing until things everyone's have had a little down bit more to drink and they're a little like worn out and ever. Yeah, I that was not a non-parent learning an important lesson. Yeah, no, no, that's good. I uh, <laughs> the funniest part for me, or one funny part was at one of the dinners we got fried chicken and it came out of a container from one of the local places. And my kids, like, I felt like this was Richard, our producer, is from Tacoma Park. Will appreciate this. Like, my kids were like, "Is this? Does this count as our fruit or vegetable? Do we need a knife and fork?" <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I'm a parody of myself. Like, <laughs> someone's gonna send me to, to like American, American icon prison for like not for depriving my kids of the joy of like fried chicken out of a container. You know, we've had chicken neck anyway. Whatever. So the point is that <laughs> I can I can feel the judgmental eyes of like the proprietor proprietor of this place. It's like what you really are, city girl, aren't you? <laughs> I could feel, I could feel that judgment. But so the, is, there, is there such thing as free range fried chicken? Is that a is that a thing? Surely that's I, probably a thing. not. I mean, no, there is. Yeah, there is. I think there is. I think it's like the chicken place. There's a chicken, the chicken place. Was happy before it was fried. Yeah, I think you can. 
It probably know, exists. It probably exists. But that was not this, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that delicious. Was probably not very And happy. it was delicious. <laughs> so anyway, let's – what's going on in the world of polling? Well, even though it was a long weekend, polling doesn't quit. So this week's top lines, the tweets – they keep coming. Are they hurting the GOP? Are they hurting national security? Are they hurting Trump's job approval? We will dig into polling on the latest. And then who is even using Twitter? Are the kids these days using this platform? Probably not. But what are they using? We will take a look at the latest data on people's social media habits. Then 2018 watch the generic ballot. Is it still swinging in a good direction for the GOP? Or is it that actually a false positive? Is Ipsos out on a limb? We'll take a look at some data about different pollsters' approaches to the generic ballot. And then 538 declares who is and isn't worth watching for the 2018 cycle. We'll look at their assessment of polling accuracy and which pollsters come out on top. Then Pew has done a study of rural versus urban areas and how they differ. And finally, something that I wonder if urban and rural areas can agree on, biscuits. Yes. I wonder if views on biscuits change from rural to urban areas. I don't know. Who doesn't love biscuits? Well, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Monsters. Monsters. But this week's poll of the week, we're going to focus in on the GDPR, which is something I've gotten about 8,000 emails about in the last week or two. But um, I had to Google to find out what GDPR stood for. Right. It's not East East Germany. Right. (laughs) Um, it is the General Data Protection Regulation. That is what I found on the Google. Ah, it is much something more that Europe did two years ago, but that people are here in the U.S. noticing now because it is going into effect. It is some pretty strict data privacy rules that the EU has put into place that are affecting companies that have customers in the EU. So, you know, even though I am not an EU citizen, many of the companies that I I'm a customer of, have EU-based people right. or conduct business in the EU. And so, you know, laws are laws have international impact these days. So how then do different ages of adults feel about data privacy? And this, I guess there was an interview with Sheryl Sandberg where she said that Facebook was not going to give people an option to opt out of like you can't they they wouldn't offer like a oh you can pay for Facebook and in exchange you get no ads. Like I use Spotify and I I don't there's no ads on Spotify for me cuz right. I pay them a little money right. every month. Right. Could you would something like that would something like that work or how willing would you be to give a company access to your personal data for targeted advertising if it meant you could use their service for free? So this question is sort of asking the reverse instead of something that you currently use for free that already makes its money through targeted advertising. I assume this is like, what if you could get free Netflix, but in exchange, they would give you targeted advertising. This is asking about like adding advertising to a service to give it to you for free. And here, younger people are much more likely than older folks to say they would be willing to give a company access to their personal data in exchange for free services. So these questions, I mean, it's interesting to see the age difference. It's not a surprise, right? Because younger people are used to this kind of transaction. They do it all day long. Older folks are like, you know... I'm not giving anybody – I never give anybody my my information. It's hard, I think, for these questions for people to really – sit for to simulate the actual exchange you would be willing to make because it's in theory. And in theory, you're going to default to like, no, I'm not going to do that. But in practice, for a service you like and use – Yeah, it depends totally on what the service right. is we're talking about here. Would I be willing to give somebody access to my personal data in exchange for a service that, I don't know, periodically allows me to translate my documents into Swedish? No, probably <laughs> not. I love our Swedish listeners. Yeah, he's Sweden. But like that's not – it's not a service I would use often enough to be right. interested in making that trade. But if I could get free Hulu or something like that and – and how much personal data? It doesn't say uh, what the yeah. service is or what the personal data is. So Right. That's also true. I mean, would I want someone to be able to have, like, my medical records versus you can know what pair of shoes I bought last right. week? Like, or you can know what town you live in. Right. Send me ads of pretty shoes. I am an easy mark. It's fine. <laughs> I don't care about that. Yes. Yes. That doesn't creep me out. That just right. helps me make better shopping decisions. That's right. It's just <laughs> nice We're and worth distracting. So anyway, so that's the poll of the of week. <laughs> it's tough to 
like really drill down in the specifics there of how people view privacy in theory. But, you know, this sense that maybe there is some rejection or skepticism or worry about privacy, especially when it's, you know, we're talking about, you know, these ad supported free platforms. That's like, that's a real thing. I don't want to dismiss it, but it's hard to know exactly what the right number, what the specific number is given. We're talking about a hypothetical. Speaking of specific numbers, that was a horrible transition. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, President's job approval this week in Trump approve 44.7%. That's kind of where he was last week. It looks a little, yeah, it's like a, I mean, we are, we are now in the 45 zone. Wow. That's very different from where we were last summer. It just is. Like, that's... Yeah. It's different. And it's continuing to go up despite, you know, last week the summit, the summit's off. Oh, no. Well, maybe that'll be the thing. Or nothing's nothing's the thing. Right. I mean, the summit being off, that there was a theory that that would have some impact because North Korea, whatever was happening there, seemed like potentially it was headed toward an accomplishment of some kind or some kind of visible thought about an accomplishment that, you know, you saw in the polling people were supportive and they liked that about Trump and it sort of reinforced some of the things that some people like about Trump. But with it being off, how does that change things? Maybe that maybe this means – does the fact that these numbers haven't changed, does it mean that, that North Korea was not the reason for the bounce? Is the reason for this movement something specific like the economy or tax cuts or, you know – Iran deal, you know, I, you know, is it any of those things, or is it sort of the a uh, long, slow trend of kind of normalization and getting habituated to Trumpism and Trump's tweets, which we're going to talk about, and Trump's style? Like, have people grown accustomed to his tweets in a way that that these numbers have slowly crept up? I don't, I don't know the answer. To that. It is the one thing when I do focus groups, and even of folks that love the president. The one thing they complain about is the tweets. And even folks that will say that they acknowledge, oh, I get why he does it. He, There's no other way for him to get his message out or whatever. It is the one thing that even his most ardent supporters will or will say, eh, sometimes right. I wish he'd knock that off a little bit. Sometimes I wish he'd tone it down. Sometimes I wish he'd be more presidential. Um, we found that in the Navigator poll we did a couple months ago that we talked about that among Republicans, his use of Twitter was one of the most objectionable things. It's a weak spot. But here's the thing that I, you know, that's important to tease out. It's not just Twitter. It's not just that people are like, oh, I wish he would stop tweeting and instead do this other presidential thing. It's what he says on Twitter and how, like, all the bullying he does on Twitter, all the, like, grotesque things he says on Twitter. Like, that's what's objectionable. It's not the fact that he's on Twitter with bad capitalization. That's the that's the problem, right? So... Well, there's some interesting questions then here from – well, first, there are some questions just on foreign policy. And this comes from Echelon Insights. We have started doing a national omnibus where our clients can add questions. But cool. before we dive into the client questions, we ask a bunch of things that we think are interesting. Um, it's a, it's an online poll of 1,000 uh, adults nationwide. And then we have the subsample of registered voters. Cool. And we asked a couple different questions about some of these foreign policy topics. So one was we wanted to ask about Russian interference into the election. And we wanted to create a question that kind of gets at this like double, like there's a problem of something being double barreled where if you do a question and you ask somebody like, do you agree that blank and blank? And if you're asking somebody to agree to two different things, that's like, it's not a good question. You want to try to drill it down to a single thing. Or what we've tried to do here is give people multiple options to express a view of of different, the different potential branches of this question. Mm -hmm. So either do you think Russia tried to interfere and they were helped by the Trump campaign. So not right. just they were, you know, they were interfering and some minion on the Trump campaign had a meeting with someone somewhere, but it, the, the campaign was not actively trying to help Russia right. collude. Uh, two is Russia tried to interfere in the election and Trump's campaign did not help them. So, yeah, Putin, bad. Trump campaign didn't really know any better. Three is what are you talking about? Russia didn't try to interfere. Putin's not a bad guy. Leave Putin alone. Uh, And then unsure. (laughs) And only 10% of people actually think that, like, Russia's attempted interference is fake news. That where most people who, like, significantly more people 
Well, first of all, 46 percent of registered voters say Russia tried to interfere and they think Trump tried to help them. So it's not a majority, but it's that's the plurality for sure thinks collusion occurred. But significantly more think, yeah, Russia tried to interfere, but I don't think that Trump and his crew tried to help them, Um, which that was an interesting finding for me. And you still have 20 percent that are like, I don't know. They kind of like throw their hands up and so, I don't know what's going on here. I, the crosstabs are not here and you may not have them in front of you or committed to I'm memory. Sh- I could probably pull them up. But but my here's going to be my guess. My guess is Democrats overwhelmingly said Russia tried to interfere and the Trump campaign tried to help them. And Republicans are divided between Russia tried to interfere and Trump did not try to help them and unsure because there's you know with 10 percent saying russia did not that's not like that's not a lot of people period right obviously maybe republicans are kind of the three-way tie between the non-blame trump option because i'm finding in a lot of these kinds of questions where republicans or you know trump supporters let's call them are put are asked to kind of say something kind of uncomfortable about trump they'll just go to neither, don't know, I'm unsure. They'll try to just sort of like have an off-ramp from the question rather than committing to one specific answer category. And that's a pretty high unsure. Sorry, I'm scrolling down through our fave unfave battery. It got stuck on... Uh... Oh, we did a fave unfave of Kim Jong-un, by the way. You didn't ask Michael Avenatti? Oh, we asked Michael Avenatti oh, too. God. That's <laughs> I don't. I didn't put it in the script, but I can tell you offline. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course we asked Michael Avenatti. Oh, don't unfave. you know me at all, Kristen? <laughs> uh, yes, hang on. <laughs> I don't know if that is in our... Oh, we asked a fave on fave of Stormy Daniels, too. I don't actually know if that is in the publicly available. Uh, <laughs> I can give that one to you when we stop recording. It's wild and crazy, um, Kristen and Patrick HQ. Follow Patrick on Twitter. If we, if we decide to release it, it'll be on Patrick's Twitter feed. Uh, I Patrick slacked me these tabs and I'm scrolling through them All and right, I sorry. I keep getting stuck on Mitch McConnell and Stormy Daniels fave on fave pages. There's like smoke right now. That's a live shot of Kristen's laptop. Like get Mitch or die try. It's like on fire, oh, flames coming gosh. out of it. Uh, oh, are you, nope, that's not it. I keep thinking I'm getting close. Sorry, this is I'm sure this is thrilling for our listeners to listen to me live narrate me scrolling. Now you know what happens on every pollster conference call. Yeah, sure. We can look at that. <laughs> scroll, yes. scroll, 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 scroll. This actually Wait, is on. an scroll, extremely scroll, scroll. accurate representation. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Of most you guys keep talking. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it goes. Um, so you keep talking. All right. So, well, let's look at the rest of this. Now, do you approve or disapprove of Trump's handling of, of North Korea? And, you know, almost have said approve. His numbers there, 34% say disapprove. His numbers there are better than his, like, overall approval rating. So that, that good goes to the, you know, his numbers on the Iran deal and his numbers on moving the embassy are not as good as North Korea. North Korea, like of these three foreign policy things he had done recently, North Korea was the strongest. I don't know when this poll was done. I'm, I'm assuming it was completed before the summit was off. But anyway, it's it's consistent with the other things that we've seen. And it makes sense that that, that was one of Trump's stronger things that he had done recently. And, but, you know, he doesn't seem to suffer any consequences for when it doesn't work out. I found it, by the way. OK. So you we had 21 percent of Republicans said Russia tried to interfere in the election and Donald Trump's campaign helped them. Wow. So that's that's, that's kind of high. I mean, that's the that's the Evan McMullen faction yeah. view, I guess, about 21 percent. Thirty-seven uh, percent said yes. Russia tried to interfere, but like Trump's campaign did not help them. Right. Whether through incompetence and not having the capability to do so or what have you. Uh, and then 15 percent of Republicans say Russia did not try to interfere in the election. 13 percent of independents. So the difference the difference between Republicans and independents is between the did Trump's campaign try to help or not. Mm-hmm. But for Democrats, it's 74 percent say right. he's guilty. Yeah. So there you go. You were you you were you were on the money. Well, certainly on that part. Um, OK, so. And then what was this last one? Do you think it's more likely – what is more likely to persuade countries like Iran and North Korea to give up their nuclear weapons program? Fear of military action or diplomacy? And a plurality say both equally. People really like divided totally down the middle on that, 21 percent each for fear 
versus diplomacy, and then a plurality say both equally. Well, and it's when you have a question like that, it's it's always easy to pick the like, I'll have both. Yes. I would like them to be afraid of American military might, but if we can resolve this peacefully, that'd be right. great too. Right. So, you know, we've there's there's plenty of and a lot of this diplomacy goes down over Twitter, which is a unique facet of this presidency. And and in the morning consult poll, you have 51% of people who thinks that President Trump's use of Twitter hurts national security. So, uh that's that's not great. So, who who then is using Twitter. This is one thing that I always find fascinating is that the president uses Twitter to just dominate the news and drive news coverage. But Twitter is not only not the predominant social media platform of the United States or the world, it's only used. I mean, we we asked in our survey, which of the following do you regularly rely on to get your news? And only 14 percent of registered voters said Twitter. That's a lot higher, actually, than I expected. Is it? Yeah. I mean, because I think that's increased. I mean, because it's that's I mean, that's low. It's obviously so much lower than the amount that the news media uses Twitter. I mean, the news media and like the way journalists need to have a presence on Twitter, the way things are broken on Twitter, that like how that changes how stories are reported and all of that on Twitter. I mean, it's so incredibly dominant and 15 percent doesn't even begin to reflect how dominant it is in reality in terms of news consumption, like, you know, the way news is pushed out. That said, like, lot, you know, regular folks are not spending a lot of time on Twitter. Twitter is kind of like a strange, a strange medium if you're not sort of there for the I don't know it's like it's not it's not like a massively it doesn't lend itself I don't think to the day-to-day chit-chat I believe that the Drake push a tea beef is going down in part on Twitter yeah I mean so stuff besides well although I mean don't actually part of that beef is because we were discussing this before the show that I had I had researched this today that in on uh Pusha T's latest album, he talks about Drake as having written lyrics, uh, had had lyrics that are ghostwritten and likens it to Trump being helped in the presidential election by the Russians. Ah. And that's like part of the lyric that sparked the beef. Ah. So see, there is relevance. Because I did to- <laughs> see, I saw a little bit of all this. Out. I'm like, what is happening in the rap world that I'm not following? And But I, I, didn't, I didn't see enough to ha- even have a real idea of what it was. I was just that's, like, that's, and so now I get That's it. a piece okay. of it. But, I, but like, so it is not just, you know, Trump versus someone else beefs that go down on Twitter. Yeah. Other beefs go down on Twitter, too. I mean, I am interested in how this list of regular news. I mean, first of all, people have a hard time kind of really f- truly reporting where they're getting their news because they're getting their news from a bunch of different sources. And when you say Facebook, are you talking about like an actual news outlet's post that someone shares on Facebook? You know, so it's not always totally – it's hard to avoid completely the overlap between all these categories. But it's still interesting how different it is from the actual news itself and and how like the sort of news – media writ large pushes out news or thinks about news. So YouTube is high on, you know, is not mm-hmm. at the bottom. Like a quarter roughly say they get their news from YouTube. That's not like a mainstream news platform. Mm-hmm. Um, majority say local broadcast TV news, which yeah. I think is very, if you are someone that lives and works in the bubble, how often are you watching a cable news network versus watching the local DC station. Right. Uh, so I, that's one of those things. That, and even when I do studies of millennials, you still find a significant chunk of them are like, yeah, I turn on the local TV news. Like I get the local weather guy or whatever. That that's that's still a big thing. And it's certainly bigger than Twitter. I think the what the president gets leverage out of the Twitter stuff because it gets covered on right. all those other options. Right, right, right. But yeah, YouTube, that YouTube is pretty hot, you know. Yeah. And well, in the poll, we then asked, how often do you use each of the following social media platforms? Daily, weekly, less often, never. Um, And Facebook was at the top, but YouTube was pretty darn close up there, um, right beneath it with uh, at least weekly use uh, on the part of about two thirds of people say they use YouTube. And it just says use doesn't necessarily mean for news. Right. Where at, you know, Reddit much lower. I've started to use Reddit because it's where the best Westworld theories <laughs> I can find. But that's about all I use Reddit for. Um, 
But Snapchat is, I think, the interesting story here. So Snapchat is pretty far down on the list of how often people use social media platforms. Only 15% of people say they use it daily. Uh, You add another 11% for weekly, but the majority say they never use it. But for teenagers, YouTube and Snapchat are it. Um, What percentage of U.S. teens who say they use YouTube? That's 85%. Instagram, 72%. Snapchat, 69%. Facebook, 51%. Wow. Twitter, 32%. Wow. So the kids coming after, like, if millennials, if we were all Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, Instagram is carrying over, but, like, YouTube and Snapchat are the big ones. And Snapchat is the one when they ask them to choose one, like, pick the one you use the most, Snapchat wins Hmm. among young people. Hmm. That's very interesting. And I also like this question. This one's yours too, right? Are each of these a good thing thing or a bad thing for society? Internet, smartphones, automation, globalization, social media, and self-driving cars. I feel like the self-driving cars was for me because I, like, desperately want a self-driving car. <laughs> like, I'm like one of your, like, in- internet fans. I'm like, is that for me? Is that, like, a secret signal for me? Um, yeah. So social media is, like, has a completely different response than some of these other kinds of tech things. You know, these are all... All the stuff is part of tech in some way or can be part of tech in some way, but they get very different responses depending on what words you use. Uh, Speaking of self-driving cars and not wanting to operate your own motor vehicle in the District of Columbia, greater metropolitan area, uh, there's a funny story I saw on the way into tape today. I guess there is a retired U.S. Marine Corps colonel who passed away and his family in his obituary noted, this is a quote, a native of Northern Virginia for the last 30 years of his life. He hated how all of you were incapable of driving competently. <laughs> no way. In his obituary. Like, that's good. Oh, my God. That's good. That is... People need to know. People need to be told. I mean. That they're driving badly. I would just love to hear the conversation of how that made it into, the, like, did the did he say, like, no, you are putting it. Yeah, you better put that in there. Or, or are they just like, oh, we'll have, like, were they all just having, like, a laugh, you know, like, you know, he would really like it. Like, I don't know how that happened. That is so yeah. good. So last but not least, before we yes. move on to generic ballot stuff, there's, there's a few other little interesting tidbits in this Pew poll about teens using the Internet. And anytime there's research about... Uh, teenagers, I am interested in it because it is legally very challenging to get polling on this audience. Uh, So it's something where I've had clients that want to know, hey, can you do an echelon poll on X, Y, and Z? And like there's one polling panel that I know of that is commercially like has this available. And to get their parents. The per interview cost is bonkers because of the amount of effort that goes into like making this happen. So kudos to Pew for being able to pull this off. But they, they asked... Are you online, either via computer or cell phone, almost constantly, several times a day, or less often? And the plurality, 45% say almost constantly. And that's a change just in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And having access to a smartphone is something that is nearly universal, regardless of your household income. 93% of teenagers that live in households with less than a $30,000 income, nonetheless, say they have access to a smartphone at home. Now, access to a desktop or laptop computer does change based on your family's income. But smartphone, Hmm. nope. Smartphone, 90 plus percent at all income levels have. Yeah, you have to have it. I mean, you know, there's the other thing, like, is it a way to kind of know where your kid is, right? So as I see people with kids getting older, there's always different kinds of Mm -hmm. strategies. Oh, we give them a watch or they have a walkie-talkie for when they're in the, like, or if they're the last of all their friends, that's, you know, they all have to kind of move together. It's a whole, it's a whole thing, but they need, there's an element of needing the phone, not just to be, to keep up with the Joneses, but also just so your parents can have a little bit of a sense of where you are. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Well, let's talk about the generic ballot. Speaking of where people are. Generic ballot continues to be better for Republicans than it was. But an interesting analysis by 
uh, Charles Franklin and also got a write-up from Josh Barrow sort of covering this idea that is the reason why the generic ballot is looking better for Republicans, is it really just that there's one poll, the Reuters-Ipsos poll, that churns out a lot of results very often? Is it getting and having an outsized influence on what these polling averages look like, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, this was, I mean, this is a conversation that I think there was some coverage. It might have been in the Monkey Cage I covered this in 2016. There was some place we I remember we talked about it at the time where someone had done a study where the, sh- the polls that were outliers were the most likely to make news. And so when you had a poll that was really divergent from the average, it got a lot of coverage and it made it seem like something was happening, but it was just an outlier getting a lot of coverage. Doesn't mean outliers – doesn't mean that, like, somebody did a bad job or that, you know, the, like – that their methodology was off. This is just, you know, there's just natural variability. That's why these are polls. You know, that's just why we look at so many of them. Um, but I think that might have been what happened with that Ipsos poll from a couple of weeks ago that made lots of news. It was the first poll in a very, very long time that showed Republicans with the advantage in the generic. And when you match that with what is, you know, and it's that aside, a little bit of a narrowing for the generic overall, not massively, but from the kind of double digit average that we had had a few months ago, then that seemed to kind of point to like, well, this is where the average is headed. But then, in fact, the next fresh Ipsos poll showed the generic back to where it was before with a Democratic advantage. So it was just, you know, it's a rolling track, I think, that they do. And so, you know, it was down for Democrats one time. And then by the time they got a whole new fresh set, I think they do calls or every single night or they do new interviews every single night. The next time they had a new set of data, um, you know, Democrats were up plus eight. And the last one they were, you know, Republicans were up plus five. I mean, that's a pretty big swing. Again, it doesn't mean that that's the actual swing in reality. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong at Ipsos. It's probably a function of other things like how they treat party ID or what their weighting strategy is. And 538 has done pollster grades. And Ipsos has a grade of A minus, which is a pretty right. a great grade. Um, you would love to have that grade as a pollster. So, you know, it's they are a poll that is well known and well well-regarded. You know, it's not just like a fly-by-night operation that's, you know, kind of spamming a couple phone numbers with a robocall and throwing it out there into the world. But, you know, this is why, you know, the the Republican plus five number got a lot of coverage. Their next chunk of time with Democrats plus seven, I don't think got as much coverage because that comports with what people think is coming in the midterms. Republican plus five is not what people think is coming in the midterms and things that are weird are always more more novel and get more coverage. Right. And also, I'm assuming you had a lot of Republican press shops trying to push that number around as they should. That's their job. Um, and when there's like a new Democratic poll that shows you know, the same as all the rest of the previous Democratic polls showing, I mean, a poll showing a Democratic advantage comparable to all the rest of the polls. Is there the same push to for everybody to report on that? Do you have like press shops on the left like saying, hey, there's another poll that shows an average plus six or or not? Um, so so it, it's not a surprise about the coverage, but it is interesting. We thought we'd give a little oxygen to that just as a reminder that these things are, you know, volatile and they don't necessarily mean that the generic is moving at quite this kind of clip. So another thing that is, I think, very interesting that 538 has done is they took a look at this question of were the polls in 2016 more wrong than in previous years? Because obviously there's, you know, nobody four years ago when I would say, oh, I'm a pollster was like, oh, you guys are the idiots that messed up the election. You know, like now being a pollster <laughs> is the like, oh, just wearing a kick me sign I on know, the back. I know what you're talking about. Nobody ever asked me that question. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so the the thing that you can say back to people that they, they don't totally believe when you say it is like, actually, the polls were the national polls were no worse in 2016 than in right. previous years. Like People don't care about that, which fine. That's. People were told that Donald Trump wasn't going to win, and then he won. I get it. I get it. What 538 did was looked. They went all the way back to 1972 to look at public polling and could compare it at both national and state presidential polling and to compare it just from the final 21 days of the campaign. How closely did it match the final result? And it, the goal is not necessarily that the answer be zero because races move. 
as we as we know in the last presidential race, mm-hmm. you know, your your opinion on the Comey letter, whether it affected things or not, stuff is still fluid 21 days out from yep. an election. So you're not going to expect zero error. Zero error does not mean, oh, it's it's perfect and you've got it all figured out because things are right. going to move. Right. But overall, you'd rather have less error than more error. Um, and so they found that in terms of the national polls, it is correct to say that the national polls were just as good, if not slightly better than in 2012. It is the state polls that were bad compared to 2012, 2008, 2004. Uh, even really, I mean, you have to go back all the way to 1980 to have a year where the state polling on – or no, pardon me. You have to go back to 1992 mm-hmm. to have a year where the state polling was as off right? generally, yep. uh, had as had as much error as, as you found this time around. But then when they average it all out, the national and the state polls, and they combine it all – the the polls were had an error of 4.8% and on average going back to 1972 it's 4.6%. Right. So they were the polls in 2016 were essentially totally average. Right. But you just had that national versus state divide where like national was pretty good but state was really not good in a way that let the electoral college right. be a surprise. Right. Right. And they also looked at not just um, and they also did a comparison of presidential primary polling to past years and look at state level polling for other races. So you can look at midterms there, governors, Senate, House and so on. Um, The primary polling in 2016 was more off um, than in past presidential years. I think that's you know, I, that, doesn't that doesn't surprise me at surprise all. That doesn't surprise me at all, right? That doesn't, I mean, on both sides, right? So there were quite a few things that were surprising and so on. Um, and then they also, but the but the midterm polling was interesting too. And the average um, that midterm polling for statewide races and for House races, it's in the basically 5.4 to 6.2. That's It's in the same range. I mean, it's kind of in the same range of the presidential Average, I guess the presidential average is four point six. So the average, the average um, error in non-presidential races is a little bit higher, um, but not like in some other kind of stratosphere. It's in the sort of same basic area. Um, so we'll see how that changes as the cycle evolves and whether this cycle ends up being better or worse than previous midterms. So far, it seems, at least looking at the polling so far, that it's. Um, I mean, I guess it's I guess they're just doing like some of the specials and that we've had so far in primaries. It's not totally clear, Um, but it's so far it's a little bit less off than in past midterms. And they also now have and I am going to butcher this. I'm just going to read directly from the copied pasted (laughs) description, but then it has for a complete description. See here. So we'll have all of these links in the show notes. But they have a metric they call the advanced plus minus. They use it to evaluate pollster performance. It compares a poll's accuracy to other polls of the same races and the same types of election. Advanced plus minus also adjusts for a poll's sample size and when the poll was conducted. So I assume this means it gives you more latitude if your poll is like three weeks before the election right. versus a week before the election. Etc. And so they give pollsters these plus minus scores for elections on November 8th, 2016. But what it, what I don't think this chart does is explain like what what is a good score. Um, right. They have this red to blue shading, which to me seems to suggest that if you are the poll with the lowest plus minus number, which is Monmouth here, you know, they say, oh, that's that's shaded in blue, but their polls do not appear to have the biggest D bias. I mean, that's University of New Hampshire and SurveyMonkey and PPP seem to have greater D Democratic biases. Right. With so, Rasmussen being, you know, comparable. Right. So I I have... I have questions about just from a graphic design perspective, this chart that they have posted Mm -hmm. with when you're using red, you got to be careful when you're using red and blue in politics if because then you've got this bias column that says, oh, you're D plus what? And it's not matching up with the colors. Hmm. And it's bothering me. (laughs) 
So, <laughs> are these national? Are these all national polls? I guess it's not totally clear. I guess we should assume that they're national polls. We don't actually know. Well, it just says what they're trying to do is compare polls of similar types. Yeah. And again, there's a whole description of this methodology that I'm going to butcher, and you should just look at the link in show notes if that's your thing. All of which is to say, then, the thing that I can explain more simply is that what they find is that online polls are very slightly – are slightly less accurate than live caller and IVR, um, that IVR has the least of the plus – the D plus bias, um, which makes sense considering who we sort of know takes – is easier to reach via IVR methodology. Right. I don't read this and think, oh, this means online polling is bad. No, nope, not I at all. I, th- these numbers look pretty close to me. And I again, I think to the extent that you can use online interviews to supplement what you can get from phone, I, I think it's still and, fine. And if you're trying to use it to develop message like six months before an election, you know, I think like it can be, you know, it's a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. So interesting stuff there in the polling land and how to how to consume 2018 polls. Thoughtful. But yeah, it's I guess the bottom line of all of it is, you know, polls are not as far off. We're not that bad that, guys. as everybody <laughs> thinks or enjoys enjoys feeling, that, you know, <laughs> whatever you enjoy thinking about polling. Although maybe not you guys since you are all listening to the pollsters, but it's not really borne out by the data. So Pew has done some interesting research on what divides and unites urban, suburban, and rural communities. Um, This is a a crosstab that I have found clients are much more interested in these days than they were, you know, four years ago. Totally. Two years ago even. Um, Because people really want to make sure are my understanding – at least clients I'm working with really want to understand that rural audience a lot and worry like was that missed? Have we not been listening to those folks? Um, So Pew has this research that they've broken out. In terms of change in size of population overall since 2000, rural areas have stayed pretty flat while the the suburbs and urban areas have boomed. Mm -hmm. And that the percentage of of areas – and that, I think, corresponds with the increasing diversity in America. You know, in rural areas, one out of every five people is non-white. In urban areas, it's a majority. Right. Um, so, you know, as America grows more diverse, that tends to be in places – it's it's happening in places that are denser. And those are the places that are growing. Um, and you also see that the percentage of the population who is age 65 and older has grown the most in the suburbs. Right. And this does not surprise me at all because I'm from Florida. I see the – Jimmy Buffett, by the way, is starting a retirement community, and I <laughs> believe that my parents unironically would like to move there. <laughs> well, you know, if, if you're a senior, I've heard this in focus groups. I see it. I believe it. Like, you want to be near services. You don't want to be so remote that it's hard to drive to go to the doctor or to get your chores done, and you want to be someplace near your family or your kids, and so it's no surprise that... You, you you know you don't see the rural areas catching up with having with a increase in population among older people although there is more the the gap between rural and suburban and urban is much smaller if you're just looking at senior growth than if you're looking at urban suburban rural growth i don't know if that's because of younger people are moving away and so you know i don't know how that all shaking up but it, but that is interesting um and it's not just Age divides are, are what you might expect to see in terms of partisan divides, but still, it's also worth remembering that not everybody who lives in a rural area is a Republican, and not everybody who lives in an urban area is a Democrat. Um, if you look at the urban areas, it's about two to one, de- blue to red, D to R. In rural areas, it's a majority that identify or register as uh, Republicans, 54% compared to 38% of Democrats. I mean, that gap is actually narrower in rural areas than it is in urban areas. There's a much wider gap between D and R in urban areas. That may be perhaps a little bit different than what people think, maybe not, about how these areas Divided. Suburban areas are basically evenly divided, 47, 45. And there's I, – I thought that it was very interesting. And I would love if any of the policy expert folks that listen to the show, if you can tweet at us an answer to this question. Um, they've, they've got a question here where they're asking people, do you believe that when it comes to federal money – 
do rural areas receive more than, less than, or about the right amount, their fair share of federal dollars? And typically when you ask a question like this, like everyone thinks their own slice of the pie is not big enough, right? So I totally expect the 71% of rural folks that say rural areas get less than their fair share. But 57% of those in urban areas say that rural areas do not get their fair share, which just fascinates me. Like that was an unexpected finding on my part. Typically people in polls think that their own community is not getting enough resources. Um, So my question then is for policy experts that are out there, is it the case, like where are the, in terms of rural, (laughs) rural, rural, urban, suburban, where is the, is there genuinely like a funding, mm-hmm. what's that funding disparity look like? Because mm-hmm. I, I hear my friends on the left who say, oh, it's like there's like red state welfare out there. That like there are all of these rural states where everything's far flung and you need lots of federal dollars to like make it work because there's just not enough people to sustain the level of infrastructure you'd need, you know. Right. So like I have heard the argument on the other side of this, that mm-hmm. rural areas, in fact, get more reason. But I guess it also depends on what type of money you're talking about. And also the leadership in the state that you're into. I, I, there was a really interesting article in Bloomberg that I was reading a couple of days ago and it, like about like the pressure for people to move from areas that are rural. If like a plant closes, what makes people move or not move? And it, it was explained in this particular example that they used that – um, that f- Democratic legislators are interested in more I- investment in infrastructure and schools and so on, but maybe less so in areas that are Repu- that vote Republican. And if the job pressure has been created by uh, fossil fuels or some other sort of extraction industry, while folks on the right are less interested in investing in any of that. Period. Where you know. Whoever you're talking about, wherever it is. Um, So that's like the dichotomy that maybe some of these areas are are looking at. Um, The other thing that's interesting that is just a note, too, it's just a reminder. It's not a a criticism, but it's a reminder when thinking about urbanicity. So there's a note below one of these charts that Pew writes, okay, for this chart, we're talking about the county where people live and whether it's defined technically as rural, suburban, urban. For other questions, it's based on self-report whether how they describe their own community and like this there's you know this is a pretty squishy kind of nebulous amorphous sort of topic to and demographic to ask people because how are you responding are you responding by where your actual house is or what you sort of think your area is, is and TK are you pk urban right? or suburban? suburban right are you getting it right or not you know mm. are you are you know maybe you think you live in a suburban area and you live in a you know, urban area, or maybe you think you live in a rural area, but technically it's in a, or, or you could live in a county that's mostly suburban, but you live on the rural outskirts or what have you. So, um, so that's just an interesting reminder how, when you're thinking about your own definitions. Are you using zip code? Are you using self-report? Are you using some sort of census data? Something else. Well, last but not least, we have polling on. Biscuits, <laughs> National Biscuit Day. This oh, is this, UK biscuits. This is not America biscuits. No, oh, well, then Ameri- what I said in the top line. Well, maybe it still makes sense. All right, I'm going to let you drive on this one. So, I thought we were talking about like biscuits and jam, uh, biscuits and gravy. Oh, delicious. You were not thinking America biscuits. No, we're thinking of uh, cookie biscuits. Okay. Mm-hmm. Take this, it away, This Margie. is one – well, I saw – you know, this is definitely one of, like, the Englishisms that my children have is to call, like, b- basic cookies biscuits. Like, that's, like – that's, like, a thing – that's one of the, like, four words they've decided to pick up, right, is biscuits, right? <laughs> and, um, and why not? It's pretty harmless. And, yeah, I retweeted because there was, like, a picture of all the biscuits, and I just loved – well, first of all – so this is from YouGov, and so YouGov is, I th- you know, is – is it an English company? Anyway, they're like they're they do push out a lot of stuff from the UK, right? And they ask, "What is your favorite biscuit?" Favorite spelled O U, of course, in the English way. Yeah, that that should have been the tell. And there are like <laughs> twenty different categories of biscuits here, and I, you know, chocolate digestive versus regular digestive. I mean, these are just like base. They're like a, a cross between a cracker and a cookie. You like, it's not like the American, like a cookie's got like 10 different things on it and icing and filling and 
what I mean, some of these things have filling, I guess, but there's still like there's there's not as many layers. Some of these top biscuits are very kind of basic, sort of one note, like a sweet cracker, like something you'd get on the side of a cup of coffee in some place, and you'd say, "Oh, this is exciting! I have a biscuit with my coffee." Like that's those kinds of biscuits. I don't know what all of these other are, but I do like that there's one category that's kind of in the top ten, just called other chocolate. <laughs> like that's not so. My back during whenever there are elections in the UK, I love the game constituency or bar in Brooklyn. Like the the names of all of the constituencies also <laughs> sound like they could be the names of bars in Brooklyn. And That's I think good. you could make this a third category. Like okay, hobnob, <laughs> right? The hobnob. is it a constituency, a biscuit, or a bar in Brooklyn? Uh, that's good. That's the a- jammy dodger. Constituency, <laughs> biscuit, or bar in Brooklyn? I know some of these are Tunnocks. <laughs> <laughs> Constituency biscuit or bar and Brooklyn. Um, oh, you could do that with like half the names on here. Yeah, Kit Kat and Oreo are on there, which is kind oh, of interesting. Um, and then Yaffa cakes, which I've had, which I'm sorry, I don't like. They are just not. What is a Yaffa cake? I think it's like got like a. If I remember what it is correctly, it's like got a dough. It's like a more of a dough with a little bit of cream in there, and it just does not. It's not like a like a yodel, but it's it. It, or any of those, like, things from my childhood that you're probably too young to remember. It's not – but it just had, like, kind of a bitter taste. I don't know. I'm, I'm not describing well, correctly. bitter is not a flavor you should have in a cookie. It's, so. it's like, too – it's it's not sweet. I mean, that's the thing. Everywhere outside of America, everything is less sweet. So everything is going to seem – if you're, like, ready for a, a cookie or a cake, you're going to be a little bit disappointed in most places. Is <laughs> <laughs> my – is uh, where I'm uh, headed with this. All right, so what did we learn this week? Okay, maybe the generic ballot is more volatile than presidential approval. But one thing that continues to be volatile is Trump tweets. Although maybe everyone should stay off Twitter. Polls suggest next week, we haven't talked about this, I will be dialing in from rural-ish America. And so I will report back with my take on Pew's findings. And the pollsters, the only place where we can find a way to fit GDPR and hobnob biscuits into the same episode. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Kesolta Sanderson at www.thepolsters.com or on Facebook, where throughout the week we post links to the stories we know you'll want to talk about. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>